Oh, friends, I'm glad you guys are here. I hope you got some goldfish. Jody is our um, one that's always thinking about uh, fun things during worship planning of, hey, we're doing the story of the feeding of the 5,000. You should, you know, get some, get some goldfish. And then some people were confused because it's also communion. So maybe the goldfish and the communion thing is going to happen together. No, you can eat your goldfish whenever you want. We'll give you more elements for communion. Wouldn't that be funny? Oh, oh dear. Um, but I'm excited to continue our conversation uh, of John. And every time... I get back into some of these, for me, these, these familiar stories. Maybe that's where you're at too. If you um, grew up in a, in a church setting, um, you're like, feeding of the 5,000. I know this story really well from Bible school, Sunday school, whatever that looks like. And for you, maybe some of you are thinking, I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, that's all right. We'll catch you up to speed. Um, but I always think about how the disciples must have felt in moments like this. It's so good for us sometimes to put um, put ourselves in their place as they're following this Jesus. They've seen him do amazing things, but still they're looking at a crowd of 5,000 people kind of thinking, how are we going to, how, how is this going to be a thing? Like, this is ridiculous. Um, so that's sort of where uh, we want to start is maybe as we read the scripture, you can turn to John chapter 6, uh, it's 1 through 14, 15, excuse me. If you have a Bible, that's great. If you have a device, I think, um, we had a, the little Wi-Fi password on there too, or you may just, you may just listen, and that's fine too. Uh, but it uh, is John chapter six. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked the question only to test him. He already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have one bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? When they had all, oh, oh, sorry, verse 10. Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in the space and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same thing with the fish. When they all had enough to eat, he said to the disciples, Gather the pieces that were left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over from those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come make him king by force, withdrew again to the mountain by himself. What a story. This is the word of the Lord. And then we say, thanks be to God. Um, this is just one of those stories that's kind of crazy to me, right? Like I just can't imagine um, what must have been sort of happening in that space. They've got 5,000 people have kind of come along uh, to start following Jesus. Everywhere he goes at this point, he's, he's drawing a crowd. And, and they're like trying to figure out how are we gonna feed all these people, like, do we send them home? It's kind of crazy. And then they come across a boy 
with a lunch is pretty much what it was, right? Uh, a boy with a lunch who had five loaves and two fish, and I wondered, what would that be like today, a boy with a, with a lunch? And so I asked my friend, I don't have kids, so I asked my friend, Cindy, who has two kids, what would a typical lunch look like if you were to send your kid off to school? So she packed a lunch for me. I have no idea what's in here. So uh, what, do you, what do kids get for lunches these days? Oh, a half a sandwich wrapped in wax paper. It looks like ham and cheese. That's going to be great. And then three cookies, some pretzels, and I don't know if she's trying to impress me to be healthy, but, and applesauce. That's a weird color for applesauce, but that, so there you go. So I, I imagine if we were to put it in today's context, different than this. Here, here's this lunch, and now I want you to feed that to 5,000 people. How about we just say, all right, just this many people, why don't you eat? The 75 of us that are here, okay, everybody go and have what you want. You would laugh at me. You'd be like, this is, I hope we're going to lunch after this. This is sort of, I have to imagine that that is where the disciples were at. It was almost maybe a little laughable for them. Like, they know that Jesus can do big things, and so there's that, but there's also has to be this moment where they're got to be thinking, what is going on here? But we have to pay attention to something I think that's important. Um, we talked about how John is so different from the other three gospels, right? We kind of spent some time um, looking at why John wrote what he did and, and doing some context and some background to that. Um, but this is one of those stories of Jesus' miracles that is in all four of the gospels. And that is something that I think we need to pay attention to. That tells us that we need to sort of lean in a little bit closer because it seems like a pretty straightforward 15 verses. It's short. It's, it's, it's a story that you can, if I asked you now to retell it, you could retell it to me in a matter of a minute, right? The details of the story. But we know when it comes to Jesus, it's never, it's never just as straightforward as we think, right? Jesus always trying to tell us a little bit more about who he is and asks us to dig a little bit deeper. And so as I sort of started to do that for myself and to, and to dig in and go, what? There's so many nuances to this and there's so many numbers that are happening because numbers I know, I've come to know, are really, really important. Like we don't just throw out numbers unless there's something that we should pay attention to, right? And so that's what we have to start with is paying attention to some numbers because numbers are significant throughout all, all of scripture. They're helping us realize different things. They're, they're, there's a qualitative piece to numbers, right? That just tells us data, right? How many people were there? That's helpful for us to know. Then there's sort of the qualitative aspect that numbers tell a story, right? And so we need to think about that when, we, when we're, we're asking ourselves, what does Jesus want us to notice, right? There's 5,000 people. There's two fish, five loaves, 12 leftover baskets, right? All these numbers are going to have some significance if we can just sort of dig in a little bit deeper. So are you ready? Can you, can you do that with me? Dig in a little bit deeper today and talk about numbers, which is, if you know anything about me, is not a thing I normally talk about. Some of you are already laughing. I don't like to talk about numbers, but now, in this case, they're actually pretty cool. Um, so we have 12 baskets, the fun thing to do is when you kind of can compare some of these stories across uh, the four Gospels. Each Gospel can give us a little more um, information, right? And so we know that the 12 baskets 
remind us of the 12 tribes of Israel, right? Moses leads the 12 tribes. Uh, so 12 also represents that number of community for the Israelites. And, and the Jewish people of that day would know that. That number is significant to them. There's also how many disciples that Jesus called? 12. You guys are crushing it. Right? Jesus is living out Israel's story. He's being reminded that, that, that the, the things that we uh, talked about, the things that you know about who Moses was and, and the story of your past, Jesus is living that out in a different way, reminding them, calling them to remember. Now, what about five? There's 5,000 men and there's five loaves of bread. And I think if you were to ask a Jewish person, right, what's the significance of the number of number five? I think that they would tell you, oh, that's easy, right? The five books of the law of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, right? The five books of the law. So Jesus is just, again, being reminded that he's sort of like a second Moses for these people, leading, leading a new exodus, right? He's, if, you, if you go back now maybe and read some of the Old Testament, knowing how much time we've spent in the Gospels learning about who Jesus is, knowing all of the things that you know and sort of hearing that story. If you go back and into the Old Testament and read those stories of Moses and, and the people in Israel during their time in the desert, you will hear Jesus. You will read Moses, but you will hear and you will see Jesus when we can kind of compare these two things. And that is exactly, I think, what Jesus wants to, us to pay attention to, what he wanted the people of that day to pay attention to as well. All right, now there's connections to bread. I gotta take a break from numbers. Maybe you do too. So there's some connections to bread, right? Moses led the people out of uh, slavery in Egypt where they wandered for 40 years, right? So in Deuteronomy, Moses, again, is reminding the people of God's faithfulness in the desert. They were, they were out there. He led them out of Egypt. And remember, we kind of talk about the Israelites that so we're like, they were, they were grumbly. <laughs> they, were, they did not trust Jesus. But if you were wandering around the desert for 40 years, I imagine that you too would get a little antsy about like, we had it good. You remember the Israelites saying that? We had it good when we were in Israel. At least our bellies were for, back in uh, Egypt. Our, our bellies were full and things were good. And they start to grumble. But, God, but Moses reminds them, of God's faithfulness in Deuteronomy 8. If you're a note taker, it's Deuteronomy 8, uh, verses two and three, where he says, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way into the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Right? Like, that's so awesome. That connection to bread, that he's feeding you with manna, actual bread, right? When Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness, if you, if you kind of are thinking to yourself, there's something about that quote in Deuteronomy that I feel like I've heard that other places. It's because you have. When Jesus was being tested uh, in, in the wilderness, he, uh, he quotes that uh, to back to the devil who's been tempting him and he's going without food and without water. And he quotes this, man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's cool. I, I love that, that, that connection that, that's being made because people would recognize that, right? 
Israel's released from slavery and they go into the desert. And then when they come to Mount Sinai, God provides them literally bread from heaven, right? The point isn't necessarily about bread. It's much bigger than that, that God's word and bread are now linked together, right? We can understand that those two are now one and the same and God sent his son as the living word and the word became flesh. And now there's a link. All right, we gotta go back to numbers. You ready? Back to numbers. We also have two fish. What's significant about the number two? That one was actually harder for me to like, I did do some reading around this one because I just didn't think about it. When God spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, he makes a covenant with Israel. He marries them, right? He, he makes promises to them and he gives them two tablets with instruction. Ah, there it is, right? In Exodus 31, when the Lord finished speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him two tablets of the covenant law, the tablets of stone inscribed by the finger of God, right? These tablets were very, very important to, to Israel, the people of Israel. This was God's promise, his covenant, his vows to his people, right? This is connecting us all to Israel's story. And as Kyle, where's Kyle? He, he's a realtor. Kyle, in, re, in real estate, what do you say? Location, 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 right? Like location matters. So we have to go back to that place too. Um, we know that in other gospel accounts um, that, that they are in the Galilee region uh, near Bethsaida, right? They're up on a mountain. It's covered in grass. Uh, it's after the rainy season. Things are nice. Can you give me that map really quickly? This is a predominantly Jewish area where they are. So we know that um, around 80 to 90% of Jesus' miracles happened in this triangle space. So from Capernaum to Chorazin and Bethsaida. This is often referred to as the evangelical triangle, right? It's just good for us to know. And the Galilee region uh, isn't, the Galilee Sea is not that big. As a kid, I remember thinking like the Sea of Galilee. So I'm picturing like the shores of Lake Michigan. You can't see across it. Um, but Galilee, you can. It's, it's easy. You can take it by boat. And it's, uh, so when they say they've gone to the other side, it's not that far. So 90% of his miracles are taking place in this sort of triangle that is largely inhabited by Jewish people. What do you think that is where he's, he's, he's making sure, right, that these Jewish people that have the most background about the coming Messiah, they're the ones that, that, that know all of that and that are waiting for him and that have read the Old Testament. Jesus makes sure he's spending time in this region the most, doing the most miraculous things because he wants to make sure that they know. He's drawing them in, giving them signs of saying, I am the one who was to come. I'm the one that you are waiting for. He's slowly and deliberately giving them signs and making connections for them about who he is. There's all these details that he has woven together on purpose so that he can reveal himself. To us, it always feels a little like, can't he just come out and say it? But can you imagine if that's what he would have done, right? If he just would have come out and said, this is me, this is who I am. It didn't go well for him the whole time. So that proclamation isn't 
always helpful. So he's reminding them. He's calling them back to the Old Testament of the things that they know, the experiences of their people, the ancestry of which they come from. These stories were passed down from generation to generation. These people knew this story. All right, we got to take a look at a few more details, I think, to draw the bigger picture. Are you still in? Okay, good, good, good. There's some more details. So John 6, uh, 3 tells us that Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down. Does that sound familiar to you, that phrase? Jesus spends a lot of time on mountainsides. He sits down, people come with him. Uh, Mountains are important imagery for us uh, in the Old Testament. Big things happen. People met God up on a mountain. God met Moses on a mountain. God uh, met with Israel on a mountain. God gave the tablets on Mount Sinai. Those are important things. And then we also know that the Jewish Passover was near, right? So Passover takes place in the spring, um, which is part of the reason I think that they talk about the grass was there because it was after the rainy season and, and we can kind of infer that from scripture. But it's also the time that the Israelites, the people, the Jews are reminded that God rescued and redeemed them from slavery, that's what they're focused on. He brought, them, he brought them into the desert and provided them with manna. He met them on Mount Sinai where he married them and gave them the two tablets of the covenant. He sustained them in the midst of vulnerable experiences and provided for their every need. That's the story that they're coming from. It's the word of God, right? When, when God gave his covenant, he gave us his very word. Jesus came from the Father as the living word. Jesus, was with, who was with God in the beginning, comes, what we read in John 1, in flesh, as the living word. Jesus is providing. He's providing for the Jews. We know how he provides for us. And when it comes to this story, it's not just about giving people bread and fish and food to eat, right? It's about Jesus making a bold proclamation about who he is. In Jesus giving bread, he's giving so much more to the Jewish people. I'm here to provide for you because I'm the one that is to come. I'm the Messiah that you've been waiting for. I am here for you. I will provide for you. I will protect you. I will take care of you. That constant reminder that the details of this story show us how much God cares and provides for his people. That's the wonderful thing that we have in Scripture when we're reminded of who God is. We have different stories, but in Scripture, we all have this shared story, right? He takes care of physical needs, right? Food, water, protection. I love it. He he leads the people in Israel when they're wandering uh, in the desert by a pillar of clouds during the day because the desert is really, really hot. You bet that pillar of cloud provided some shade, some relief, And then by night, a pillar of fire to provide warmth because in the desert, it gets really, really cold. He he was in all those details and knew ahead of time how to take care for his people, even even in this climate that was difficult and hard and grueling and unfamiliar. He takes care of our spiritual needs by by giving them a, a teaching and instruction, Right? Jesus spends his time on mountainsides teaching, teaching us a new, a new language of who God is and, and how to interact with him and that, that Jesus is for us. 
teaching us a language of, of love and hospitality that draws us in and, 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 and wants to make us different and whole. Interestingly, um, during this time, if you read in, in other um, Gospels, you, you know there's a little timestamp. John the Baptist had just been beheaded for proclaiming the gospel that Jesus was the Messiah, right? And Jesus being fully divine, right, but also fully human, was a man who cared deeply for his cousin. So being fully human, you have to imagine that Jesus was grieved. His cousin, right, who was talking about him, who he was, had just, had just died, and knowing that Jesus' fate was going to be very similar, in the midst of that, he still cares for people. He puts his own uh, grief as a human being aside to care for those people. And in that moment, it was because 5,000 people, and this is 5,000 men, so women and children, we could maybe double that. He takes the time to care for these people that are with him in that moment. Because at that moment, they, their physical needs needed to be met, and he does. And I think for us that just, God cares about the details of our life. You can't read that story and not see the intricacies and the details of what Jesus was even trying to tell them about who he is and the faithfulness of who he's always been. But we, we're not good with that sometimes. We believe that, like God's in the details. And that seems very like, you know, morning one line devotional kind of stuff. But the theology there is so deep and it is so true that he cares deeply about what you're going through. Right? Even in the midst of his own heartache, he had compassion for people. Right? Jesus cares about your cancer diagnosis. Jesus cares about the stress and anxiety that you feel. Jesus cares about the fact that you are struggling in your faith and you don't know where to go. Jesus cares about your financial difficulties. He cares about your marriage. He cares about your kids and that as a parent, you're worried about your kids going to school. Are they gonna make the right friends? Are they gonna have, he cares about those things. He meets you in the midst of those things. We, sometimes we think things are small and insignificant because we do this awful thing where we compare the things that are going on in our life to like way bigger things. So if you're having stress and anxiety, so, so here's my example. I'm trying to figure out how to, if I'm gonna sell my house, when to do that, how to do that. It stresses me out, but it's such a small thing because other people have cancer and there are people in Africa that don't have clean water, right? And so we do that, right? We hashtag first world probs. Like that's a thing, right? Like, oh, it's first world problems. And we sort of, we slug it off. And that's true, right? We live in this world where we have far more choices than other people, but God still meets us in the midst of that. He cares about whatever you're struggling with or your plight just as much as he cares about people making sure they have food and water in Africa. He's not comparing the way that we do. That's the amazing thing about who God is and how much love he has for us is that in those small, detailed moments, Scripture just screams of the details. Pay attention. Pay attention. He's in those places. When we feel 
small and insignificant, he's in those places. The triune God cares about the details of your life, no matter how big or how small. He shows compassion and provision in the same way that God the Father took care of the Israelites in the desert. He provided for their every need. Food, spiritual, a community of people. God made sure that all of those things, and he will make sure they're they're free because he cares about the intricacies of your life, right? We are constantly reminded in our life who Jesus is because if we pay attention to the details, he's revealing himself to us in new ways. We pray that sometimes together, right? God, help me to see things the way that you do. Help me reveal things to me so that I can see things anew. But then we don't pay attention to it sometimes. We can't always wait for a, a sometimes I, that's me, right? I shouldn't say it that way. I'm, I'm talking like you people. No, 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 me. I can't wait to be smacked in the face sometimes with things. I need to be looking because God is present and he's moving and he is in the details because he cares about them. First Peter reminds us to cast all our cares and anxieties on him because he cares for you. And he reminds us all the time of who he is. But we have to, we have to take a step in. He's drawing us to himself. And we gotta, we gotta lean in and listen and have our, our mind and our eyes opened to the ways that he's speaking to us because he cares about the details. He cares so much that he died for us. Right, we have a table set because we're gonna share a meal together. Because Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Diane's gonna tell you more about that next week. And to share that meal together because he cares for us, even though he didn't do anything wrong. Right? He was sent from the Father as a love offering for us. He came as the living word to move and to live among us so that we can know and understand him better. That's amazing. That's, why, that's, that's the connection, right? It's, it's so that we can know him better. That's a God that cares and that loves and that is in the intricacies and the details of your life. And then we're filled with the spirit to continue the work in the world. That's our call. That's, that's what we need. We, need. we can see those details so that we get to be part and used by God through the power of the Holy Spirit in the details of other people's lives. That's what makes our community so great. That's what makes other, we want to invite people into that so that they can share a meal together too. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that it reminds us of who you are. We all have different stories in our lives and, and, and we have different ways that you've shown up. Some of us have miracle stories of the ways that you've provided in, in moments of crisis and need. But we also have this common story of Jesus. And we can look back on scripture and see all the places where you have just been incredibly faithful and providing for everything that we need. So much so that you, Father God, sent your son, Jesus, as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So God, as we eat the bread and we drink the cup representing your life that was broken and poured out for me, 
We remember and celebrate your faithfulness to all of us and to all who receive you. I can't begin to fathom the agonizing suffering of your crucifixion. Yet you took the pain for me, for us. You died for us, and we thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your extravagant love and your unmerited favor. Thank you that your death gave me life, abundant life, now and eternal life forever. And as you instructed your disciples, I too, we together, receive this bread and this cup in remembrance of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray and we believe. Amen. So we're going to do that together. We're going to do uh, commune together at four stations. So in a minute, there's going to be a, a group that comes up and takes uh, uh, the elements to four stations. The one in the corner will also have a gluten-free option. So know that. And, and the band is going to play. And as you uh, feel ready uh, to receive that, then you can. But Jesus, on the, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body, broken for you. Whenever you eat this, remember me. And in the same way, he took the cup. And when he had blessed it, he poured it, saying, this is a new covenant of my blood poured out for you. Whenever you drink of it, remember me. So friends, my friends will come forward because the table is set for you. And yeah, you can come forward. The table, <laughs> the table is set for you and for all who believe. If you've got kids with you today, they're welcome at this table. If you profess that Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life, then this table's for you. We want to celebrate that together. What I love about the, the communion table is that it's set like a meal. And meals are meant to be eaten in community. And this is ours. So, for all of you, I want you to take, eat, remember, and believe. This is the body and the blood of Christ for you. God, we give you thanks and we give you our praise. You give us everything that we stand in need of. You love us unconditionally in ways that we can't uh, fathom or understand, and sometimes we push against it. But God, we thank you for meeting us where we are each and every time and providing what we need. And sometimes it's just enough, and sometimes our cup is just running over with the blessings that you pour out. And I pray that in this time and in this space, in this community, in this priesthood of believers, that together we can celebrate who you are, that we can see you anew, and that we can be the people in each other's lives that, that point people to you, that point each other to you, that remind each other of who you are and who you say that we are because of the light of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the ways that you love us. It's extravagant. And we thank you for your, for your body broken for us and your blood poured out and shed for us. In Jesus' name we pray and believe. Amen.